welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kritika. And today we're discussing season two, episode eight, Parents. This episode originally aired on November 20th, 2012, and was written by Ryan Coe and directed by Jesse Pratz. Ryan was a producer on The Simpsons and was the producer and supervising producer for 46 episodes of New Girl and on a producer on Cougar Town. This is the first episode that, of New Girl that he wrote, but he's written four episodes and done the teleplay for one episode of New Girl, and he also was a writer on The Office. Jesse Peretz, the director, last directed the episode Halloween, which was season two, episode six. In this episode, it's Thanksgiving again, and Jess's divorced parents are coming to the loft, along with Schmidt's cousin, who is also named Schmidt. Jess tries to get her parents back together while Schmidt begins competing with his cousin about who's more manly. So starting right off with this parent trap situation that Jess sets up, you know, it's Thanksgiving. This is our season two Thanksgiving after a really memorable season one Thanksgiving. And I loved how immediately when Jess sees her mother, they have these little nicknames for each other, Momsicle and Jujubee. It's so cute. It is really cute. But then it's also a little funny that they had those nicknames. I don't know. I guess I was not ready for the nicknames. But then I was like, oh, it makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> it's Jess and she describes her mom as perky. So you have to expect some quirky nicknames. And I mean, Jess even says that her mom is perky because she doesn't have Jess's dark side. <laughs> Which like, what is that dark side? Right. So many times too in this episode, I swear I took a minute where I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, I swear, like things I should have regularly put together just like wasn't clicking as quickly. But one of those was Jess trying to coordinate with her parents on Thanksgiving and like the schedules with those and trying to tell the whole loft, okay, mom's coming at this time, dad's coming at this time, like you're gonna have two Thanksgiving dinners, be ready for it. And as soon as she started explaining that, I was like, oh no, that's not gonna work. It's cute that she's gonna try to make that happen, but it's not gonna work. And part of the reason too was because I actually, my parents were divorced. They're actually not now, so I didn't parent trap my parents, but they are kind of back together after being divorced. But when we had Thanksgivings, when we like when I had holidays where were times where they were divorced or like you had to go to multiple people's Thanksgivings because, you know, you had to see different family. It is a nightmare to coordinate. It is so much to be like, OK, I'm going to be here at this time and here at this time and like trying to just like even just not a, let alone family, like anytime you have plans where you're trying to coordinate two different times to be at like two different events on the same day. It's an effort to make it work and make it come together. So as soon as Jess is trying to explain this to all the loft mates, like the apartment for the loft mates with Nick and Schmidt and Winston and Cece, but I'm just like, oh no, this is not going to work. I was very, un I did not believe in what Jess was after. But then I also, and it made me kind of think too, like, well, why wouldn't you tell the parents ahead of time? Like if you really wanted to keep them coordinated, if they really didn't like each other, you could tell them ahead of time to like coordinate better, but it didn't seem like Jess was doing that. And I'm like, oh, I see why. You were parent trapping them. <laughs> and so that's where I was like, okay, I get it. Jess would have tried so much harder had she not actually had ulterior motives. And classic Jess, where she thinks she knows best for everybody, she just wanted to parent trap them. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. It was definitely done with her ulterior motives at hand because 30 minutes is the window she had between her mom leaving and her dad coming. And any one of those could easily be extended or her dad could have shown up early. So yeah, I mean, she was definitely not setting this up for success, even if she had given them the times that she had told the loft mates she had given them. And like, I was really curious as to how that Thanksgiving dinner would have worked if there had been two Thanksgiving dinners. Would there have been two turkeys? At the end of the day, they only cooked one turkey that we saw at least. And so I didn't really know how they were going about doing this because it's not just the loft mates. It's also Schmidt's cousin that's there. And was he going to go to two Thanksgiving dinners? It just seemed like it was set up from the beginning to be this exact thing. And I loved watching the parent trap part of it, though. Yeah, no, exactly. It was definitely set up to be this exact thing from the very beginning. Like it was not known by anyone but Jess, but Jess knew 
the whole time. She didn't need two turkeys. She just was going to make it work and she was going to make it so that she can bring her parents together. But I just, I died that it like instantly didn't work. And it instantly, like her dad comes in and he goes, well, I'm thankful for divorce. (laughs) I'm just like, wow, way to be frank, way to just like make a statement as you walk in. But then it totally brought me back to the end of season one where they had the scene with the mommy's all right, daddy's all right, and just singing the song. Because I'm like, oh, this has been a thing the whole time. Because they didn't do that flashback actually again, which makes sense, like in this episode. But that flashback, plus the ones that they had here, it's like, yeah, this was never working between her parents. (laughs) No, it really wasn't. And I also appreciated just like from that line that you said, where her dad comes in and says he's thankful for divorce. This and so many other scenes in the episode really justify Jess's note to Nick that he's going to like her dad because he's so unhappy. I died hearing that because the way they portrayed her dad and the way they portrayed Nick in this were identical. Like it was like she was living with her dad. Yeah. Well, and haven't you heard that thing before where it's like people either marry their moms or their dads or like whatever gender it is, but like they marry the opposite person or they marry the same person. And I just feel like, yeah. Nick is Nick is Jess's dad, for sure. <laughs> the only other question I had in this whole scene was, where is Robbie? Because Cece's here at this Thanksgiving with them, but Robbie's not there. And it would have been so nice to see how he interacted with this whole drama. But I feel like him not being there gave us much more screen time for like Jess and her antics, which I also like. So I wasn't too upset that Robbie wasn't there. I think in a, in a situation where... This wasn't a television show and you had to have and you didn't have to have like guest actors that you paid to come be their parts. I feel like we would have potentially seen Robbie or even heard about Robbie. I think that's something that like in like the situation that this is a television show, I feel like from a guest star perspective, they didn't have maybe the budget after they had, oh my gosh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Rob Reiner and Rob Riggle come in and be these like family members to our main characters that Robbie probably just didn't make the cut from a character perspective. But then also the one thing that they could have done in this episode is at least have Cece mention, oh, Robbie's with his grandparents or something, you know, that they make a reference that that is something that New Girl doesn't tend to do is that some episodes, if a guest star is there, they're there and we hear all about them. But if they're not there, it's like they don't exist. So it could just be, you know, maybe we were we just needed one line to almost get a key in into where Robbie was. But since it was Thanksgiving, it's probably a lot of family he could have been with or other things. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that they don't maybe have the lines to even spare because these episodes are so tight. I think every episode comes in right at 21 minutes and 54 seconds. So they must be really paring these down. I think I even heard that they actually shoot a lot more than they actually put into each of the episodes. So maybe Robbie's line is the one that got cut. So I'll have to just live with that. But back in this episode, Jess has now like is now setting up her parents and we get to see all of the times she has parent trapped in the past, like in the flashbacks you're talking about. I love that her parents are so aware that this is something she does now. Well, they're so aware of it. And it's just hilarious to me that how much of a fantasy that Jess is like consumed in because she is about 30, if we don't know that exactly, in this time frame. She's 30 years old and she's still trying to parent trap her parents. Like she has such like a misguided understanding of like what her parents need and how to make them the family that they are. And like, we do get to see that like dealt with here, but then I just love like how it's all getting set up is so funny to me because it just makes me think of that little song or like talk audio. That's like, no one's going to know. And I'm like, Yes, Jess, everyone is going to know. Like, everyone knows what you're doing. Your parents know what you're doing. Cece knows what you're doing. And it's just so apparent. So at a younger age, I feel like when she was doing these parent traps, it's probably like, oh, okay, like, that's just my kid Jess, like, doing her thing, like, trying to parent trap us. But at 30, you like, it's a dream world. She can't be seriously trying to parent trap them in a way that is truly suspicious that no one knows. 
I love that Cece was the one who walked in and immediately knew exactly what she was doing because she's been part of the antics before. But I think she had already reached the point of being too old to do this before because the one where she creeps into her mom's shower and takes a picture of her, I feel like she was already too old to be parent trapping at that age. She probably, she probably was. And the thing with Cece, the thing with Cece that was funny to me is that she's like leaning against the wall and she's like, Jess, like you're parent trapping. The thing you made me watch a million times. And I'm just like, this is really speaking to Cece's friendship because Schmidt told Cece about White Fang so many times that when Schmidt was White Fanging, she knew exactly what it was because she's like, is this White Fang that you told me about that you're going to do to somebody one day? And I know exactly what you mean. And now she's like the friend again to Jess where she's like, the thing you made me watch a million times and you've tried many times in your life. Oh, I know what you're doing. So I thought that was great too, that Cece's just, she's that friend to bring her, her friends back to reality. Like, Okay, come on. <laughs> and you know, the other friend looped in on it is Nick, who tries to bring her back to reality, but just does it in a way that, in his own words, ruin things. But his face, like he does this thing where he like, I think what you best described it as when he was talking about with Caroline, the the paint on the walls of his new apartment, where he like disassociates with the feelings, like everything he says is so pleasant and it's kind of against his personality a little bit. And so his face when he agrees to do the parent trap was hilarious because this is like the third, fourth time that we've seen this even happen this season. Amazing. I mean, as soon as you threw Nick into the situation too, you knew it was going to be even funnier. Like I didn't know what Nick was going to do quite yet in this parent trap scheme, but he he did he made it gold. <laughs> he did contribute on a on a great on a grand level. But quickly though, like talking about Bob, Jess's dad, he actually was kind of like it was kind of fun, like the his storyline and everything. And they kind of like leak it to him or like leak it to his mom that you know he broke up with his girlfriend. Like Jess was doing really, she was trying really hard to like make it a conversation. Yeah, I mean. Everything about that scene was so staged. Like she talks about how her dad grieved so publicly on Instagram and all this. And I think the description she gave was like, like sad lunches and trees or something like that. Like sad trees. And I was like, yes, that clearly means someone cheated on you. How did you, wow, Jess, you're the Instagram expert. Let's not lie. That's what everyone does on Instagram all day. <laughs> you see a photo of, of flowers and you're like, oh, you must be depressed. <laughs> But Bob, I know they have set him up to be like really kind of like snarky and like a sarcastic bean, but I loved his joke when they had the whole salmonella exchange and Jess's mom was like talking about how it was just a joke and stuff. And Bob's response is like, oh, here's a pencil. Can you draw me a map to that joke? And I was like, I'm going to use this. Like, <laughs> this is such a good line. I love that too. But I will say just with the salmonella thing, did you catch how... It was it was funny even later when he got squirted totally in a later scene, not because of just getting like messy shirt, but like I just having watched the episode a few times by the couple watch throughs, I just was like, oh my gosh, he just got squirted with a bunch of uncooked turkey juice <laughs> because earlier on he's like, oh no, I really can't be near salmonella. My doctor said da da da, but then later he gets squirted and then. <laughs> Jess's mom was like, let's put that turkey back in the oven, which is like, oh, this wasn't even done turkey juice. <laughs> like, it's just getting squirted all over him. So I just, Bob, to me, Jess's dad was just so like, the the like funny line throughout this whole episode, which I guess that's like normally Nick to me. So it's like, really, they're the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Nick and Bob. And you just see that continue and continue like when his job is to bond with Bob so that Jess and Cece can give Joan this makeover. It's amazing to watch how they're incredibly in line. Everything they say, they're both saying the same thing. And then Bob's the one who has to tell Nick that his zombies book is Twilight. Why does Bob even know all the pieces of Twilight? Maybe because they're from Portland, it became a thing that they knew about. But yes, I loved that Bob was the one explaining to Nick Twilight, the two of these guys sitting there. But also I watched that scene and their their one interaction, I almost really wish there was more because I was just like, oh, they're the parent trap. <laughs> like, 
trying to trap Bob and Nick to make them friends. Like, this is it. This is the gold of the episode. <laughs> Jess did it. She's made friends of, of her friend and her dad. I can totally see Jess trying to do that, like, as her, like, B plot to everything. Like, I'm trying to get my parents together, but I also need Nick to be friends. With yeah. Them. And that's how, like, she started the whole episode, even setting that, like, seed for him. But, you know, while this is all going on, she's giving Joan this makeover, and Joan has this, like, bone to pick with Cece. Like, she is not over the fact that Cece may have scratched her van at least a decade, if not two decades ago at this point. It's okay to let it go. Also, with your daughter's best friend who growing up in Portland together which we do know and now lives in LA and they still do a lot of stuff together all the time that I'm sure you hear about because Jess calls you all the time and there's no reason to have a grudge against Cece anymore so that was pretty that was pretty silly but then the other thing like that was so silly from Joan that I also had to roll my eyes at and not not silly like the way like Bob was being silly but silly like okay, mm -hmm, is the small line where she's like, the only reason I wear makeup in Portland is to keep the rain off my face. And I'm just like, no, that is not how it works. The rain wipes away all of your makeup until the point where you don't end up wearing any because there's just no point. It's just wet all the time. So I'm just like, what Portland are you living in, Joan? It is not the Portland I am living in. So no, <laughs> the rain, the rain is a thing. So I don't know. I, I I will say throughout this whole show of New Girl, they have a lot of different references to Portland here or there to like really be like, oh yeah, Jess is from Portland, but it's never really accurate. And I'm just like, Ugh. Ugh. so I have a bone to pick with the show's portrayal of Portland. <laughs> maybe you just need to try the same makeup that Joan's trying because maybe it's rainproof. Apparently. <laughs> but as soon as that's done, Nick is charged with flirting with Joan so that they can make Bob jealous because, okay, Nick is going to be the one to make Bob jealous. Just because they're the same person doesn't mean that that's going to work that way. But Nick gets really into it. Well, because he's the same person. If Bob liked Joan, <laughs> I mean, Nick likes Joan. That's how it works. Oh, maybe. I mean, it led to that famous do I regret it scene where Nick is just saying that he would, he does regret it, but he would do it again. And I loved it. Like that is on so many new girl memes. And I did not realize it came from this episode. So watching that was pure gold. It was. It was. And just Nick and Joan together. And like Joan was totally being okay with it. What was she thinking? Because clearly. Well, she said it happens. Oh yeah. Like guys just young guys and flirt with her and like no big deal like I don't know like at your daughter's Thanksgiving with your ex-husband there I don't know I just don't know that I would have been on the same page as Joan like trying to actually embrace this flirting it, it just seemed a little odd but maybe she also knew that Bob would get jealous and she was trying to make Bob jealous too because in this episode, she seems to be kind of the first person to make the move most of the time. So I feel like maybe she actually, I don't know that she wanted to get back together with Bob, but maybe she was still interested in Bob. I will accept and believe this theory because when the turkey basting gets sprayed all over Bob, she immediately is like, okay, I'm going to go take him to clean up. Because she did not need to do that. And even Bob said in the bathroom scene, like, you did not need to do this for me. You go back to the thing. I'll just clean up myself. I think you're right. And she starts saying like, oh, did you get jealous? Did you ever get some photos of me? Like she is totally into this. Okay. Well then Joan's just milking it for all she's worth. She's getting all the attention. She can't. <laughs> she's like, I'm going hanging out with my daughter and I'm gonna make this happen. So, okay. I give it. Yeah. Okay. Joan. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the one we should be watching how to take initiative. I know. Meanwhile, there's Jess who like this whole parent trap situation is kind of like she's acting like a little kid, honestly. But then we also find out she has a master's degree, which I feel like we had never known before this episode. We definitely did not know that before this episode. But then especially this was another moment where I had to be like, wait a minute, does she have a master's degree? But then it made sense because most teachers... If you are in the, like in the United States, most teachers that if you get a college degree that is not in education, you actually have to go back and get a master's degree in teaching so that you can teach at 
elementary school or middle school or high school. And so you have to go and get a master's degree. So I guess in Jess's education, she went and got an undergraduate degree, but then went back and got a master's in teaching so that she could be a teacher. Or that's just what I'm assuming. But I had to have that moment where I actually had to pause and be like, huh, does that make sense? Why would she have a master's degree? And I, I thought through that train. So yeah, I mean, I would have expected her to get her bachelor's in education based on everything she said so far. So it was surprising to me too. And you mentioned too that she acted kind of like a little kid. And another thing for me that really kind of stuck out like that was how she was trying to call it off with Nick, like stop flirting with his her mom. And Nick's like, well, hey, don't like, don't stop now. Like this is kind of working out for me. Like this is interesting. But then she really... Like, just because she didn't like what was happening, she just, like, had a temper tantrum, honestly. Like, it's what it kind of seemed like. And it kind of worked out, though, because it got the mom and the dad to go to the bathroom together, which then they go and peek on them, and she got what she wanted. (laughs) But then it was really weird because she's watching it, too. So I don't know. I had very mixed feelings where I was like, why are you a little kid? Like, why are you truly embracing this child that you're acting and trying to be? But then also, you know, nice job, Jessica Day. You've done it. You've parent trapped your parents. Feel proud of that. But then I'm also like, ew, don't go back and watch. (laughs) What are you doing? She has this look of disgust and then fascination. And I also was trying to get her to close that door and she comes back for second looks it's just weird unnecessary just cc and nick had the right idea by walking in and seeing that it was happening and being like yep we're out they did they had the right idea but in a way i kind of get it because i mean it's still weird but it's i get it from jess because she just had been invested in this in so long and she just feels like she's finally done it (laughs) that she's like can't believe it you know but then They go to dinner. It's time for Thanksgiving, which like Thanksgiving is such an undertone this season compared to last season with like Paul Genslinger and like everything that happens with that and like the Black Friday shopping that they do. I mean, there was there was the football watching in this episode. They did have the football on a little bit, but they go and they're going to have Thanksgiving dinner and Nick is starting to like give it away. He's trying to say stuff and they're like, oh, no, 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 don't don't say it. But then just to me is like when she's like, okay, I'm going to say a toast and she says something really nice. But then I was like, oh no, oh no, just no, don't do this. And it just didn't end, it ended so sad. It just, I don't know. Like I was really hoping she wouldn't do it only because I didn't want it to end so badly for her, but like I knew it would, you know? Yeah. I mean, Jess is the kind of character that's always going to take pride in getting her schemes to work. Like Way back in The Landlord, she talks about being down for shenanigans if she's a part of it. And this is truly a shenanigan that she's a part of. She orchestrated. So I can see how she needs that victory speech, even though you're right, it didn't end well for her. And the whole dinner kind of just falls apart. And Jess lets loose that Cece didn't mean to scratch Joan's van. It just led to all this yelling and everybody just fighting with each other. Well, no, because because Cece said that the reason she scratched Joan's van was because her jujube little Jess had eaten like a pot brownie and was high. And so then that's what brought on all of the yelling. You're right. It That's exactly what brought it on. But then it just like, it just kind of like deconstructed. I don't know, like it imploded. Like, I don't know the right word for it. But like, you know, you hear Jess talking about how she did this because she wasn't allowed to eat chocolate. The other thing like that, it just like escalates too is Joan and Bob just thinking she's a drug dealer and like she's selling or using drugs now and accusing Cece of it. And then I think Bob even says in the background, like if Jess is selling her body for rent because it was strange for her to live with three men. And like, it just, it was messy. It was Like, I felt bad for Jess in the emotional aspect of it because it leads to her finding out that her parents are not getting back together. But then even how they got there, like, it was funny, but it was also really messy. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird, like, how quickly the two of them jumped to those conclusions. Like, they understand their daughter so clearly to be like, you're parent dropping us. Like, we get it, you know? To, but then also to be like, oh, you're doing this because you're a drug addict and that you're living with these people because you're, like, selling your body. Like, what what is going on? And so even, even later, too, when, like, towards the end of the episode, when Joan is, like, trying, like, 
you think all is forgiven and Cece is like, yeah, I'm glad we can put that behind us. But then when they go in for that hug, Joan is like, if you ever give drugs to my daughter again, like I will end you or something like that. And you're just like, what is your problem with drugs right now? And not like I'm pro drugs, everything, but it's also like, you know, your daughter and you know that that's not who she is. And like, okay, maybe she ate a prop brownie once and it was an accident or whatever. And Cece scratched your van, but literally this is your daughter's best friend there's nothing wrong with her and there's no need for you to like have this grudge or for both of them to like team up against Jess about how she must be into drugs and how this is the end of the like something good or whatever and you're just like you guys are both taking this way out of context and like not being supportive parents in in this regard and it's like 20 years of a best friendship and making yeah it's not like someone new and they never really said that Cece gave Jess the drug. So they were assuming that too, which may or may not have been the truth, but like they definitely assumed that it was Cece that got her into this life that they've now imagined for her. Yeah, no. Cece is so supportive of Jess and wants the best for Jess and her parents should see that. So that part didn't love, but the part that I did kind of love from the parents, which is, that's why it's like weird too. Cause it's like, they can be so explosive, like you said, or imploding on what happened in that one moment. But then they kind of take a pause from that. And Jess looks so sad. And she is like taking the turkey and dumping it in the garbage disposal. But then Joan comes into the room and is like, Hey, you know, we are happier apart and that's okay. Like, I can find happiness for myself. And that I thought was like, what a way to model to Jess that it's like, you don't need to be in a marriage to find your happiness. She can find her happiness in another way. And that they're happy people without trying to have to get back together. And that Jess too, she has a family. She's not alone. She she does have her mom and her dad. They just aren't married and aren't together anymore. And that's okay. So I really liked that scene. And I thought that was really sweet that they immediately had that conversation. And, you know, Joan kind of told her daughter, like, it's okay. And I think the other thing they highlight there is just because her parents are divorced doesn't mean she's not going to find someone. Like a lot of times people base their idea of marriage and love after what their parents have. That's obviously an example that's easy to see for a lot of people, but that doesn't mean that it dictates how your life is going to go. And so I think that was also really good that they touched on there. I agree. And lastly, just watching Bob and Joan leave and head out, they're heading out at the same time, which like, how obvious they just tried to convince their daughter like, oh, no, this is nothing, but they're leaving at the same time. And they get in the elevator and they I just love that it was so cute. It was like, oh, this is like, okay, don't tell Jess. <laughs> and then they start kissing again. So I just was like, well, that's cute. So yeah, like there, I, I have no hopes that the two of them are going to get back together or that we're going to hear that much more about that. But I think it's just like a cute thing that they got to, you know, have a fling with each other, <laughs> your ex-husband or your ex-wife once again. But it just was cute. They both knew, okay, don't tell our daughter this. <laughs> It's just not going to end well. Yeah, it's it's nice to see that at least there they, again, have a good idea of who their daughter is, even if they have momentary lapses. But speaking of family, the other big character and the other big storyline here is Schmidt, Schmidt, Winston, and a little bit of Cece because Schmidt's cousin is showing up. And I just have to like start off by saying that when I watched the show on Netflix, they keep calling Schmidt's cousin Big Schmidt. And in the episode, I don't think he ever identifies as that because they're fighting over who gets to be called Schmidt. But for the sake of this, we're probably going to identify Schmidt's cousin as Big Schmidt just so that we can kind of keep them apart here. Yes, Big Schmidt, Cousin Schmidt, but not any other name. I mean... They both are fighting this whole episode to be the one true Schmidt. But I will say, like, when I saw this episode and had been rewatching it to, to for this watch through, the second I heard Schmidt mention his cousin, I was like, oh, this is it. This is this, this is the episode where he says all day. <laughs> and this is when they bring this into play. I 
love this. My husband and I quote it all the time and it's just really fun. And it's when we really are trying to hype each other up about something. Because And that's what they do here as they kind of have this like manliest contest or this masculinity contest of who's better than who. But as we kind of get to meet Big Schmidt, we get kind of like an interesting picture of who this character is. Yeah, and then they keep on and they like show this another flashback scene of where like Big Schmidt's sitting on Schmidt and he's the strong kind of fat. And it's just, he's an interesting character for sure. I love that they start off by saying that, you know, he's tempered down because the reason he went to juvie was like stealing the synagogue's van. And now he's, you know, dating someone and he's like calm and he like, they all went to Legoland together. And then Big Schmidt shows up. And he's exactly who we all expected him to be as far as Schmidt's family member. Well, and if he's dating someone or something else, I mean, it said that he settled down with her. So not sure really what that was looking like. But then his reaction, Big Schmidt's reaction was basically like, well, you know, I can sleep with whoever and we don't speak or live in the same house. It's a pretty cool arrangement. And you're just like, oh, you're just masking the sadness that you (laughs) have like no problem so I'm sure this contest like is something that he needed almost to win or like be part of because he just it didn't seem like he had a lot right now for Big Schmidt and yeah it just it's an interesting character backstory to who he was and like what that entailed but then Winston and Cece they're just it's Thanksgiving they're waiting for the food to be cooked they have nothing else to do they don't want to be part of the parent trap situation (laughs) or at least Winston doesn't and he proposes there be this masculinity contest. And I just, I love that little tiny moment where Cece's just like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm bored. <laughs> like, I want to make something of this day that's fun. And you know, you know that the Schmitz are gonna really just have have it out and not let anything go because they're both so extra that they even immediately both take off their shirts. Like, they're the most extra people in all of TV, I swear. They are definitely characters like they are so funny and like I also really loved that it was Cece and Winston that were going through this with them mostly Winston because Cece did go back to the parent trapping but I loved how they played that up against Winston being kind of calm and collected versus the Schmitz and Cece also kind of has that demeanor of being more calm than Jess for instance so I love that contrast that they did between the characters And then just, like, the number of contests and, like, what they were doing. Like, we saw them wheelbarrow and ankle something. Like, he tried to just do some ankle exercises to show off his calves and stuff. And, you know, we hear even more of it when they get back inside because Winston says that Big Schmidt or his cousin headbutted a bench and that Schmidt punched a tree. As far as we know, all all this stuff took place on the roof. So I'm not sure where (laughs) they went to get all this, but... It was like a tie at that point. And then Schmidt comes out and like talks about like how this is all like pre-Clinton manhood or like masculinity. And he can do all of these other things that aren't what Big Schmidt he thought would consider masculine. And then you just see Big Schmidt chopping these vegetables in the Julianne style. And I was like, oh, wow. Obviously, this was not really you chopping because you were looking up and not down at the chopping board. But this is pretty impressive. I mean, of course it wasn't him dropping. It just was so hilarious. But see, that's like Rob Riggle, whenever the actor who plays Big Schmidt is in anything, that's the kind of like humor that he does is like looking one way and like chopping another way, like doing it like that. So that I thought was just so hilarious. But yeah, he, he is just a man of many colors, just as the Schmidt we regularly know and love is a man of many colors. And so... I did think it was a good point that they made about manhood and and all of that, but it's just funny that Big Schmidt was ready to go and he was like, I can do this. But then Cece must have gotten bored because she is like, oh, the true test of manhood is, you know, kissing another man. And so they deem that they're going to like, I actually, for a moment, they like look at each other, like Big Schmidt and Schmidt look at each other. And for a moment, I almost was like, are you guys just going to kiss each other? Like, that would satisfy this request of kissing another (laughs) man. It would have actually, I think, been more funny. But like, well, it was still very funny to try to see them both, like, have this moment with Winston and kiss them and everything. And they even brought it back where they're like, I'll kiss Winston all day. Like, I just, I loved it. I died. That all day thing is such a theme for that 
family relationship in this. Like these cousins, that is like, if they had a tagline, that would be their tagline. <laughs> all day. They could be cousins all day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like Winston through this whole dinner is also so hilarious. He's setting this competition up because he's bored and then immediately regrets it because what has he gotten himself into judging this competition but then also he like when the food comes around he's just like I'm ready to eat and like you know can can we eat yet can we eat yet and it was so hilarious and then he was so invested in his eating that he doesn't look up and notice that there are three people just watching him eat like I would feel so uncomfortable with people just watching me eat you know that something bad or like something is about to happen. Yeah, especially when they're both trying to talk to him and be like, oh, how are you doing? Like, why wouldn't he have asked a question and be like, how are you doing? What's going on? Like, why do you keep asking me? And when Rob Riggle comes over and just like smooches him, you're just like, oh, okay. And Schmidt, like Schmidt's face totally just like lets him have it. He's like, you did it. You're the winner. Like you did, you completed this. But then, but then big Schmidt at the end is just like, I miss Krista. <laughs> He's like, this is not how I wanted to be spending my Thanksgiving per se. So maybe that helps get him back together with his significant other. But getting into our Schmidtisms, you know that we already are so obsessed and love this all day situation. And I know that I've kind of touched on it a little bit or like said it a little bit in that voice, but we're actually going to have a special guest join us to be the voice of Big Schmidt. It's actually going to be my husband, Fernando, who does help out on our podcast, but usually behind the scenes. But he's going to come on this time, be our Big Schmidt voice, and I'm going to be Winston in the scene, and Kritika, of course, is going to be Schmidt. We had to keep her as Schmidt and play it out with our new voice, Fernando, as Big Schmidt. Here it is. Look at this, Winston. I can do this all day, man. No, I got it all day, man. All day. I don't even think about it. That's awesome. Keep going. All day. I got all day, too. I can do this all day, Winston. Hey, how long can you do this for? I do this all day! Yeah, I got all day, too. Winston! Why are you yelling at me? I'll do this all day! I'll do it all day, Winston! Well, thank you, Fernando. You did a great big Schmidt, and we're so glad that you could come and join us on the audio and give us your lovely voice to truly give the best effort to big Schmidt and who he is, because... I'll tell you all, I did. I tried to do that deep voice and I was going to try to be Big Schmidt for you, but it just wasn't going to work out. <laughs> I just, there's just a register that my voice doesn't get to. So I was grateful, grateful to have some help today, but we had to, we had to make this our Schmidtism. It was so iconic and it's, it's the ultimate Schmidtism because it has Schmidt and Big Schmidt. Like it's two Schmidts. Double the Schmidts, double the fun. Can't say it any better than that. <laughs> Uh, it was definitely a great scene, but the whole masculinity contest itself, it was kind of a gray area for us. It wasn't a strict not in the 2020s, but it kind of was like we kind of went back and forth on this. And like there were portions of it that we felt were actually kind of a yes in the 2020s as well, like how CC's test is being secure in your masculinity, which I think makes sense. But then the way she says it is that they should kiss a man, which not great. And then the fact that she volunteered Winston for this and the fact that he didn't get to consent to that at all and he was just kissed by Big Schmidt was a little more in the not in 2020s. So the whole masculinity thing kind of went back and forth for us. It did. And and another thing that actually ended up being a little bit of a yes was that Schmidt understood that the masculinity that they were like performative masculinity honestly that they were doing on the roof and like some of the challenges they were doing in round one were not through and through the only parts of what being masculine entails that there's actually it's a spectrum of masculinity and it's not just one thing and he was giving a lot of different examples of like what else it could be and there's other things that contribute to masculinity so that part we thought actually was pretty great that schmidt or that they made space in this episode to address that and say, hey, like, maybe that's how we're doing it upstairs, but there's another component to this. But then, obviously, the funny part of that is that Big Schmidt just, like, ruled it all of it, all, all the whole thing. So, yeah, kind of like Kritika said, it was both a not and a yes, but then ultimately, like, kind of cool that they were able to have this topic, but then explore it in ways that are, like, kind of 
pro in like ways that we would still address it in the 2020s. Yeah, the other thing that we thought was a yes in the 2020s, we touched on a little bit earlier in the podcast, but part of it is knowing that you don't have to be in the same relationship that your parents are in, but then also normalizing that having divorced parents doesn't make you have no family or like reduce that in any way. And also Joan's experience with being able to prioritize what was good for her and for Bob versus just like staying in it or trying to get back together to make Jess happy. She was able to like communicate that to Jess in a way that hopefully does stick with her too. Yeah, no, that I loved seeing that in this episode. Truthfully is just because even a child of parents who got divorced, it's something that, you know, you want to see in television and you want to see that normalized a little bit and how the mom so was supporting her child and saying, Hey, even at 30, even at 30 saying, Hey, it's fine. We find happiness other places. So I I definitely thought this was a great moment for the show and still holds true through today. Yeah, I definitely think that portraying it in this positive light is something that we don't see a lot of on TV. So echoing that. Yeah. So that takes us to our pop culture segment of the podcast. And first, we're going to touch on Legoland. Legoland is near and dear to my heart. I used to actually work at Legoland at their water park, the one in Southern California. And Whenever you have hear about a job you used to work at, your ears perk up and you just like, you remember all the memories of being out working with all the, the guests of the, of the theme park and everything that went along with it. So Schmidt specifically in this episode says he went to Legoland with Big Schmidt and Krista last year and he was really grateful that Big Schmidt didn't pressure him to ride any of the rides he wasn't comfortable with, which is hilarious because Legoland is specifically geared for kids. It says currently now like kids under 15, but when I was working there, they were like, this is for kids 2 to 12. And I can tell you too, before I even worked there, I had gone to Legoland at age 12 or 13 or something, and I had the worst time ever. It was so boring. So as an adult, that he didn't have to get pressured to ride the rides, but also most of the rides you can't even ride as an adult. Like most theme parks have a height limit. You have to be at least so high to ride the ride. At Legoland, they have some rides that are, you can be no taller than this height to ride the ride. So I don't even know which rides were too scary for Schmidt at Legoland, but that's, it was actually just like a really quietly funny line that was hilarious having known it so well. But to give a little extra background on Legoland, the amusement parks are not actually owned by the Lego group. They're owned by a British theme park company called Merlin Entertainment. And the Legoland parks are actually split into different little areas, similar to like how Disneyland or some other theme parks have like different themed lands in different areas. But one that's specific to Legoland is not actually rides at all. It's Lego Miniland, and it's a model village that includes different landmarks from around the world and local and just different things using millions of Lego bricks to build these different scenes. And they're just available to look at. And it's just, it's actually quite cool. So I do recommend seeing that or checking out a Legoland if you haven't been. But the other component of Legoland theme parks is the rides that they do have are themed for different Lego sets. And so many are made to appear as if they're built out of Lego bricks. So for example, like one of the rides that's very popular is the Dragon Coaster, which is loosely based on the Knight's Kingdom Lego sets. And another one that they have is the Driving School, where they have these little electric cars built to make them look like Lego cars that kids can drive around. And at the end, you get like a pretend driver's license. I do have one of those from when I was a kid and had gone to Legoland. So it's all out themed. It's really cool. But I just, I died. I, I died laughing a little bit because it just was too funny when Schmidt is saying Big Schmidt didn't pressure him to ride the rides because there was nothing for him to be frightened of at Legoland. I think it's so cute that you got little driver's license. Like that is so adorable for children to get just from like doing this like ride, like driver's course thing. And I think it's amazing that also Legos are coming back in. Like we saw Nick kind of take that Lego to the next level in Fluffer, kind of saying that building Ikea furniture is like building high stakes Lego. And I think that 
this whole thing, it's very cool to know more about Legoland because I definitely have never been myself. Yeah, I want to say that those little driver's license these days are actually like all digital and it gets like printed out on like a little card. But like way back in the day, it was just like a little piece of paper that like had you fill it out by hand. And I definitely did that. Had a little sticker photo of myself I put in and like I think my mom even laminated it. That's how cool I was, guys. <laughs> That's so adorable. And, you know, like thinking of like times like that brings me straight back into our other pop culture reference because it's the parent trap. Had to. We love the movie. We love it. I think you may have even heard in a previous podcast how much Kelly loved this movie because there was a song we covered that she knew from the parent trap. But this movie, it's actually adapted from this 1949 German novel. And the original movie came out in 1961. And it starred Haley Mills as the young girl who was the the twins that were trying to get their parents back together. And the original movie was nominated for two Academy Awards. It was broadcast on TV. There were three sequels. Obviously, it was remade later with Lindsay Lohan in the late 90s. And since then, it's been released on digital stereo, Laserdisc format, which is something that I think we haven't even heard in forever since that was back in the 80s, but then also on VHS and DVD in 2002. And this film was Haley Mills' second film for Disney. She she did six in a series. And what I thought was really interesting was the actual parent trap, the name of the movie was supposed to be We Belong Together, and that's how they started production, and then they changed it. And so I think Parent Trap fits it much better, though. Yeah, Parent Trap is definitely the appropriate title for this. And I just had to say, like, we had to talk about this today because not only do we love it, like, yes, you're right, Kritika. I do love this movie and soundtrack and everything about it I'm actually like even reading about it again I definitely was like oh I need to go watch this movie again because I love it like I need to like (laughs) see them do their little handshake and I mean by saying I love it like I do love the 1998 version I haven't I actually haven't seen the original I probably should go see that because of how much I do like it because there's actually upon doing some research there's actually some really cool things that like overlap between the two and like for example the actress Joanna Barnes actually appears in both films she plays Vicki Robinson in the 1961 film and then Vicki Blake in the 1998 version. So it's kind of fun to see that Nancy Myers, who directed the 1998 version, actually kept a lot of fun similarities or Easter eggs, if you will, between the 1961 version and the 1998 version. I think that's really cool too, because when you remake a film, sometimes you go straight for what it is and sometimes you take it and you take it in a completely different direction. And I also haven't seen the original, but it feels like this did justice to it. And I think the box office kind of showed that too, because this was released in July of 1998 and it grossed $92.1 million and it only had a budget of $15 million. So I imagine that's doing pretty well for itself. And they had so many people, like so many young actresses audition for this. More than 1,500 people wanted to get the roles of Hallie and Annie. And it came to Lindsay Lohan. But I thought was especially interesting looking at New Girl is that the director that you mentioned, Nancy Myers, was looking for a little Diane Keaton. And so we know Jess is kind of based on Diane Keaton. Now we know that Lindsay Lohan, who was selected for this, was supposed to kind of have a bit of Diane Keaton in her. So it kind of makes sense that she would come here and try and parent trap her parents too. It does. It does make a ton of sense. Well, and like with Nancy Meyer movies, Diane Keaton was actually in one called It's Complicated. And so I think there's there's something about Nancy Myers and Diane Keaton that I'm sure... There's some connection there. But the other thing about those adaptations is that they're actually making another Parent Trap, or Walt Disney is, for Disney+. Plus. They're going to make a new remake of the Parent Trap. And I don't know about you, Kritika, but I kind of feel like it's too soon. It's too soon. <laughs> I'm not ready for it. <laughs> I mean, it's been 20 years no. since it's been out. <laughs> no, you're so right. <laughs> no. Don't say those things. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, okay, I guess it's time, but it's not time in my heart. It's time for a new generation to fall in love with the parent trap. That that I can agree with. Our last pop culture reference that we wanted to chat about was Grey Gardens. So Jess mentions this when Joan is cheering her up. She mentions that they could definitely Grey Gardens the crap out of a condo in Miami. And so that made us dive a little bit deeper into Grey Gardens. So we both 
caught the reference, but I don't think either of us immediately knew what they were talking about. So Great Gardens was a 1975 American documentary film, and it depicted the everyday lives of two reclusive upper-class women who are a mother and daughter, both named Edith Beale, and they were actually the aunt and first cousin, respectively, of the U.S. First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy. And so this documentary basically, like, looked at their living conditions, and their house was infested by fleas. It had numerous cats and raccoons. They were deprived of running water, and it was filled with garbage and decay. And then Later, the First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis and her sister provided the funds needed to kind of stabilize and repair this house. But overall, like that was what the documentary was about. And there was a lot of controversy about it, too, about whether it was okay to kind of portray these women in this way and like why were they put on exhibition. But that's like kind of the theme that Jess was going for when she said they could do this in a condo in Miami. Yeah, kind of like a at the at the end of the day, they could always go and at least be this like this mother daughter situation and have it have it be that. But I actually the only reason I knew of Grey Gardens and like Big Edie and Little Edie, which is what they kind of called them, was from Gilmore Girls actually, and having heard the reference there, so didn't realize that the show or that the documentary was called. Grey Gardens, but then they actually adapted it as well to be a few length, a full length musical called Grey Gardens, and it's actually the first musical on Broadway to be adapted from a documentary. Then there was also an HBO film that starred Jessica Lange and Drew Barrymore as the Edies, and Jean Triplehorn was actually Jacqueline Kennedy in that show, which Jean Triplehorn, if you remember, played Uli in season one, who was Russell's ex-wife. So it's all connected. It's one big happy Hollywood family. But then it also became a play in 2008. They had Little Edie in the Marble Fawn. And it's just kind of fun to see how like this Grey Garden thing, this one documentary, ended up becoming such a very intense pop culture reference, actually. Like it's kind of immersed throughout TV as this reference with like the Edies with mentioning Grey Gardens, even like even New Girl made this reference. And it's kind of just kind of fun to know this backstory here. Yeah, Grey Gardens has appeared in so many different media. We're not going to list them all, but on their Wikipedia page, there's a references in other works. And the Gilmore Girls reference is there as well as like Rugrats and the Real Housewives of New York. So it's very varied in how they're, how this has been used since the documentaries actually come out. Well, and, and what's crazy is that being a documentary, it, this, is, this is based on real people. Like, I, I feel like I really need to go explore this documentary as well, because it's like, I need to see what kind of infestation that they had here. And, and it makes sense, too, because of how Jess referenced, like, eating the cat food to her mom. And it all kind of makes sense. So that brings us to guest stars, where we're not going to be talking about the actors who played Young Schmidt and Young Big Schmidt, which is... Young Schmidt played by Matthew Jacob Wayne and Young Big Schmidt played by Michael Che. And both of those will include a few extra links and a little extra information on our show notes on our website, smallscreenchatter.com. We're also not going to reference the actresses who played Young Jess and Young Cece, as we did talk about them in a previous podcast episode. And we are going to be talking about Jess's mom, Jess's dad, and Schmidt's cousin. So Jess's mom, Joan, is played by the one and only Jamie Lee Curtis. She's known from TV shows like Archer, Scream Queens, NCIS, and more so known for movies like Halloween, True Lies, Halloween H20, 20 years later, Freaky Friday, and Knives Out, Veronica Mars, that also starred Max Greenfield, and was also part of the Beverly Hills Chihuahua movie. On a personal front, she's married to Christopher Guest, and she actually saw him first in an issue of the Rolling Stone magazine with Cyndi Lauper on the cover. And he appeared in a promotional photo for the film, This is Spinal Tap, in full costume and makeup as a rock star. And she fell in love at first sight of the photo, and she gave her phone number to his agent. And now they have two kids together, that they adopted. And just from a family front, I feel like everything I was looking at, there were so many connections. Like I even noticed that she was the godmother of Jake Gyllenhaal. 
And then there's like so much other interesting stuff about her. Like she holds the U.S. patent for the dis- a disposable infant garment, which takes the form of a diaper. And I actually looked this patent number up and it does say that it's registered to Jamie Lee Curtis. So it's very interesting to see her variety of interests. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, Another fun thing about her as well is she's actually been sober for over 20 years, which is an amazing accomplishment. And recently, she's even created like a website retailer called My Hand and Yours, which offers objects of comfort to share with a loved one, friend or colleague to go going through hard times. It kind of appeared like it was this Etsy style retailer where you have different artists creating different pieces of art and being able to share them in this way so that it kind of sends to people that you want to send a reminder to. And the best part is, is that 100% of the proceeds benefit Children's Hospital in LA. So we can definitely include a link to the My Hand and Yours website, which does have a lot of nice art. The second guest star that we wanted to talk about here was Rob Riggle, and he plays Big Schmidt in this episode. So he's been in movies like Dumb and Dumber, 21 Jump Street, The Hangover. He's currently filming The Ark and The Aardvark. He's also been in movies like Night School and Their Lorax, and been in TV shows like Fancy Nancy, The Unicorn, Rob Riggle's Ski Master Academy, American Dad, Modern Family. He was a self-correspondent for many years in The Daily Show, and he actually acted in Hoops, which was created by Jake Johnson, but he's currently hosting Holy Moly. In this episode, Rob Riggle states that he was the Marine Corps Cook of the Year, and that's why he had the best chopping skills that he could have. But in real life, Rob Riggle was actually a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps Reserves. He initially joined the Marine Corps in 1990 at the age of 19, and then recently retired from the Reserves after 23 years of total service. He did nine years of active duty and 14 years in the Reserves, and has been awarded with over 21 medals and ribbons. Something else that was kind of cool about him is I read that he was the honorary mayor of the California town Funner. That's the area around Harris, Rincon, Casino, and Resort. I don't know how he really got awarded that, but it's kind of cool to see. But his trademark character, like the one he plays mostly, is that he's usually playing an aggressive, loudmouth character, which we can obviously say, say is true for Big Schmidt here. Yeah, and it's kind of funny with Harris Rincon Casino and Resort. Like being from Southern California, I've heard the commercials and I know about Harris and my grandma used to go all the time and I just I didn't know that the area around it was a town called Funner and I definitely didn't know that Rob Riggle was the honorary mayor there, but next time I drive through or like see that area, I'll definitely have to kind of like check it out and see see what that's about. But lastly about Rob Riggle is that it's kind of great. He also has a podcast. His podcast is called Riggle's Picks with Rob Riggle and Sarah Tiana. So I can only imagine that podcast is just a barrel of laughs because that's just the guy Rob Riggle is. <laughs> Our last guest star is Rob Reiner, who is almost like a Hollywood mainstay in a way. So it was actually kind of cool that he gets to play Jess's dad on New Girl. But other other TV that he's been in is All in the Family, The Good Fight, and Hollywood. He's also been in movies and acted in movies like The Story of Us, The Wolf of Wall Street, This is Spinal Tap, but he's also known as an award-winning director. He directed this is Final Tap. He also directed Stand By Me, A Few Good Men, The Princess Bride, and Misery. So Rob Reiner, while he didn't act in those movies, directed them. I think it's interesting that he was the director for This Is Final Tap because that's the one that we mentioned earlier that Jamie Lee Curtis noticed her future husband in a promotional photo for. So even though they're not married in real life, he kind of has a connection with her in this way where he directed the movie in which she kind of found her husband. Yeah, that is super fun. And like what a what a coincidence that like maybe they're all kind of friends in the back end and like this wasn't a, this was totally fun that they were both able to be Jessica Day's parents in this television show. Exactly. And another like quick note about Rob Reiner, he actually founded his own production company in 1987 called Castle Rock Entertainment with Martin Schaefer, Andrew Scheinman, Glenn Padnick and Alan Horn. And the name for that production company comes from 
Castle Rock, the fictional town created by Stephen King, because the two of them are a team and have worked on many movies together. Which would make sense because like the movie Misery is like a very notable horror movie and I could see the influence there. Rob Reiner also received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and it's actually right next to his father's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame who is Carl Reiner. And Carl Reiner has was also an actor. Uh, his mom, Estelle Reiner, was in the business. His brother is the painter Lucas Reiner. And his sister, Sylvia Ann Reiner, is a poet, playwright, and author as well. So really, his whole family is very into the arts and into the Hollywood scene. But getting into our trivia and fun facts segment, we just wanted to note that In this episode, Schmidt says that he cannot kiss Winston because his face smells like too much like a man and, you know, he he wasn't able to do this. But we've seen him Fredo kiss Nick multiple times in the past. We actually did a pop culture segment on the Fredo kiss. So maybe Schmidt and Winston are just not as good friends as Schmidt and Nick are, or maybe he just views them differently. But we thought it was interesting that he reacted kind of differently for the two. Yeah, it's kind of funny that He acted as if that never had happened to him before when he so proudly has done it before with Nick. But as we get towards the end of our podcast, we always talk about our rating and favorite characters. So IMDb rated this episode a 7.7 out of 10, and the audience viewership was 4.11 million in the US. I give this episode an 8.5 out of 10. I truly enjoyed it. And also anything that I end up referencing nine plus years after I've originally seen it automatically gets... A higher rating from me because all day like I could give this episode an 8.5 all day <laughs> so maybe it doesn't get a 9 or a 10 but it is one of my f- more favorite episodes so I gave it a little bit higher of a rating this episode for me was an 8 out of 10 I liked it better than the last couple ones we've done but still I liked the start of season two better but it was so so great to see Jamie Lee Curtis and Rob Reiner on my screen and Rob Riggle because they're all such great actors and I kind of knew this was coming with the episode being titled Parents but it was still so great to see but my favorite character in this episode was Nick and I realized that basically every single episode of season two I have now picked Nick as my favorite character (laughs) I feel like there is a trend here but he's just you know, the way he committed to the bit and having the famous do I regret it scene in this just hands down made him my favorite character. Yeah, Nick was Nick was a top contender for me. Jess was also a top contender because she really was going for parent trapping her parents. But I actually had to choose Schmidt. And I do mean Big Schmidt. He was definitely my favorite. And I am so, I just love the dynamic that it brought for both Schmidt and Big Schmidt and just their their family history together and just to get to know a little bit more about who that was and get to see more of Schmidt's regular Schmidt's family. So I really just had to choose Big Schmidt because he just brought so much humor to this episode. And that is a spoiler-free podcast on season two, episode eight, Parents. So at this point, we're going to get into our spoiler section. So anyone who has not watched the rest of the show, or if you just don't want to hear about any future storylines, we're going to give you this chance to break away. But before you go, Kelly and I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Who's That Girl? We love to hear your feedback. We tell you every episode. So please give us a rating or leave comments in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast today. You can always send us an email at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at whosthatgirlpod. We really hope you'll be back next week for the next episode. And now you have five more seconds to get out before the spoiler show. So getting right into our spoiler section with the endgame couples, we always talk about Jess and Nick first. And in this episode... There were definitely some friendship vibes going on with Jess and Nick, but also he was kind of there for her and he really, you know, took part in her shenanigans. So we gave them a four out of 10. This episode particularly didn't lead us to think they were going to be together anytime soon, but he's always willing to be there for her. Their friendship is just so solid. Like, and the fact that he was willing to flirt with Joan 
just as a friend, you know, just really shows that. So for the friendship rating, it'd be much, much higher, but relationship wise, it is a little bit lower. Schmidt and Cece also a little bit lower because really in this episode, they seem like they're really just solid friends too. They were able to kind of have jokes together. Actually, it was more like Cece and Winston having that solid friendship and having jokes together, but nothing really pro or con really strongly for the relationship of Schmidt and Cece. So we gave them a three out of 10. And then with our douchebag tracker, a 10 on our scale is that Schmidt's a total douchebag, while a zero is that he is a genuine guy. And this episode, while there were kind of douchey moments, some of them were actually instigated by Winston setting up this contest, and Schmidt's just kind of participating in it. So we gave him a 5 out of 10. We didn't see anything that really stood out too much about Schmidt himself, and we didn't we saw like him really being there for Big Schmidt and we felt that kind of balanced it out at about a five. And lastly, the only other spoiler in this episode that we kind of wanted to just touch on and almost just mention a little bit is it's kind of funny to again know that Schmidt, his real name is Winston, and the reason that he goes by Schmidt, as they discussed in the later seasons of New Girl, is because there couldn't be two Winstons. And so Schmidt ended up going by Schmidt instead. But with Big Schmidt, he also is going by Schmidt. And that's just how this family rolls, I guess. They both go by their last names. But then when Big Schmidt is meeting Winston, you would almost have expected some kind of reaction to, oh, hey, that's Winston's name, you know? And it just seems a little unnatural again to have someone in Schmidt's family meet someone else named Winston or if they hadn't met before but are like maybe they met before but just getting to hear Winston's name from a different character and not having a conversation where they're literally fighting and having a competition about who can be Schmidt but not trying to say who can be Winston and why it never became something between Winston and Winston technically on who could be the best Winston so it feel, I felt like if this was truly, I mean, I totally get that they wanted to do a big reveal later in the New Girl series, but it seemed like it would have been a little funny to have Schmidt have a moment where who can be Schmidt, but really who can be Winston and kind of how Winston Schmidt didn't actually have any name that he could be on that day. And my like secondary question to that is fine if the way Schmidt says it is, I actually go by Schmidt around here. So, okay, maybe he's setting that stage. And so I do think it's a little weird that Big Schmidt didn't say anything about Winston. But why does Big Schmidt go by Schmidt? Like, what's his first name that he also goes by his last name? Because I think there's just, it would be fun to get to know that, like, later maybe. Like, Big Schmidt was also named Winston Schmidt or something like that, which would be kind of cool. Yeah, I thought that would have been the funny, like, I was thinking the same thing. It could have been Winston Schmidt again. Like, maybe this family just names all their kids, all their boys, or Winston Schmidt of one one capacity or another. But that really brings us to the end of our podcast today. Kritika and I really want to say thanks again for listening to Who's That Girl? A New Girl podcast. <laughs> We'd love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating in any podcast platform that you listen to us. And you can always send us an email, as we said, at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at whosthatgirlpod. We do hope to see you back for episode nine. Bye. Thanks.